On this episode, we're talking to Eric Castellano from Amazon Lit, and he brings the energy. Chris, he's so fun. Uh, he's so he has so much passion for what he's doing, uh, and we're talking a lot about wholesale selling on Amazon. These guys are the masters. When you hear the numbers of what they're doing, how many employees they have, how many sales they're making per day, the amount of money that's coming in, it's going to blow your mind. Uh, but it, this was a fascinating conversation, Chris. Yeah, they got to be one of the best sellers on Amazon. But more than that, uh, just you know, changing lives, being motivating, uh, helping helping everybody else out, his employees out. So um, I think Amazon just a byproduct because you know Eric brought the energy and definitely oh. a good dude. Oh yeah, and they have unbelievable training, coaching, mentoring programs. So if anybody's looking to get started selling on Amazon, I would absolutely follow their content or join one of their one of their courses. So let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Eric. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 216 of Two Amazon Sellers and a Microphone, brought to you by Solozo. And today, prepare for a lot of fun. This is going to be high energy. I mean, we got we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff, wholesale, all kinds of selling on Amazon. And we've got the absolute master joining us. Uh, we are so stoked. This guy produces a ton of content. They've got a killer business. We cannot wait to dive in. we got Eric Castellano from Amazon Lit joining us. What is up, Eric? Fellas, good afternoon. Grateful to be here. Chris, Dustin, thanks for having me. Just hanging out, excited to kind of, you know, kick some ideas around and just see where this thing goes. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a, a ton of fun. Obviously, Chris and I, we come from the private label side. I know that you guys do, you know, probably majority wholesale. Yeah. Uh, we could, But we can talk about all the things that you've got going on. Plus, you produce amazing content and you guys have so much energy. I just actually just a second ago, I went uh, to your website and I saw your like your intro YouTube video where you guys are just screaming passion. I love it. <laughs> it's it's so fun. But you're in your warehouse. You're not driving a Lamborghini like all the no. other ones out there. You know, yeah. you're, it's the real deal. So we can't wait to uh, to get into this. I know everyone listening is going to love to hear hear everything. But uh, so thanks for joining us, man. We're we're super pumped. And I want to give you before we jump anything. I want to give you the floor for just a few minutes because I want for everyone who doesn't know you, doesn't know Amazon Lit. We'd like to just talk about your your personal journey, uh, just how you got into the space, you know what, you know the partnerships you've created, the you know the yeah. company that you have. Uh, just give us a little bit. You got you got as much time as you want to start into your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Eric Castellano. I'm the founder of Amazon Lit, um, which was created about four years ago. But before I get into Amazon Lit, I think just starting off you know, kind of how I got into the Amazon game would be beneficial for a lot of people who are either just getting started or considering started or getting started. So 2013 was the year I knew nothing about e-commerce, nothing about really business in general. Um, and my business partner, who's actually in the office right next to me, Sebastian, he started selling products on Amazon. And, and I walked into his his home and I saw all these products at the time he was doing what's called retail arbitrage. He was going to retail stores and buying inventory to resell for a profit. 
And I laughed in his face. I was like, bro, you're joking. You know, I was like, nobody, there was no YouTube videos. There was no Instagram accounts, no Facebook. So it was completely new. I mean, I laughed at him and, and a couple of weeks went by and I saw us growing. And then a couple men, months went by and it was still growing. Uh, and I was like, bro, what's up with a job? You know, so initially I started as an employee packaging items and then worked my way up to the COO of that business, um, you know, and it was very, it was very tedious and a lot of uh, a learning curve in the beginning. You know, the success didn't happen overnight. We really didn't start making life changing money till probably year three, uh, where we were really like, wow, this is this can change not only our lives, but our children's lives and our children's children's lives if we do this correctly. So we really honed down on our processes and built a very large team. I got about 50 employees now. Um, they're operating right below me in our in our 20,000 square foot warehouse. And our main gig is wholesale. You know, we 90% of our sales come from buying large volumes of brand products that people trust and know already. You don't have to advertise for them, ship them from overseas. They're all sourced domestically. And that's kind of how we got our foot in the door. I've got There's so much. Questions. I know. I got so much. Shit. I got so much. Shit. Like I've been following these guys on Instagram, and, and they're you know very modest. Like they're, they're these guys are the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So what did you have a like a day job, corporate job, whatever? Yeah. When, when your uh, partner was starting all this. Yeah. So I was a full time college student at, at the time. I, I was uh, NYU studying construction engineering. Um, and I stepped away from that job and I was also working part-time gigs doing construction, trying to gain experience in the industry that I was planning on going to. Um, and lo and behold, a complete curveball came in and I, I dropped all of that, even dropped out of school and went all in on Amazon. And then two or three years later, I actually went back, completed that degree just for really street credit. And I invested a lot of money into it. So I wanted to do it as an accomplishment, but you know, I haven't used it since. Um, but I was grateful for the opportunity to kind of participate in that, you know. Talk mm. about the time you went from because retail arbitrage is fairly simple to do. You, there, yeah. you just go out to the stores and find product, and if it sells for let, you should buy it, flip it, and you're just doing that stuff. But wholesale, totally different game. Talk yes. about that transition from retail arb to, to wholesale. Yeah, so the full transition took about eighteen months. It did not happen overnight. Uh, which which confused a lot of people. They think you're just going to switch, make the switch from RA or OA or even private label to wholesale or wholesale to private label. Whatever switch you're making is going to take some time. So initially how it happened for us was Sebastian got an email. Um, I don't even remember who it was from, but it was about a trade show. And we never we've never went to any trade shows. It was all the way across the country in San Francisco. And we we're like, you know what? If we don't try, we don't know. We went to that trade show. We, we opened up our first wholesale account and we went from, you know, buying 500 items in an eight hour day doing retail arbitrage to buying 5,000 items in two hours of putting together a wholesale order. You know, it's, it's amazing. And so we talk about this all the time and I'll, I'll in, intro this segue to this. But when people who are interested in starting Amazon. Uh, they come to us or, you know, we're talking to friends, family, anybody. You always, we always say, look, go to Walmart, go to clearance, get the scanner app, mm -hmm. you know, flip, open up a seller central account, just get a couple of things and you're going to learn a ton about the process because yeah, okay. that, that process is going to be the way, whether you go private label or wholesale or whatever, 
that process of getting labels, putting them on, creating shipments, shipping it in, whatever you did, that's, you need to know that uh, ahead of time and learn that. So we always talk about that. And that's, you know, and it's, it's so interesting because I started private label. I did a little bit of that retail arbitrage, but I'm actually, I'm doing a lot of right now online arbitrage, mm-hmm. which is similar to retail arbitrage. And you notice he's got his pen in his hand. He's, he's no, going to take, take, take notes. This uh, is a class for him. <laughs> but I'm doing this where I'm like at, at a bigger scale of doing like online arbitrage where I'm just touching a lot of products. I'm mm-hmm. finding so many opportunities where I'm like, that I could I could wholesale this product yeah. right now, and there's no reason why I shouldn't yeah. do that. So I'm so excited to just to, to keep digging in. So you said there was a long transition, 18 months. Were you uh, were you guys constantly doing the retail arbitrage to help fund these wholesale orders? Yes. The, yeah. That process. Yeah, because because retail arbitrage, we knew the process, we knew how it worked, and we knew how to make money doing it. So we couldn't just cut off. RA, we had to continue to do that to keep the funds coming in, keep the feedback coming in, keep the inventory, keep the just keep the business moving, keep the employees busy at the time. We only had maybe two or three, but it's like we had to keep the wheel spinning. Um, so the transition first, it was 90 10, you know, 90% RA, 10% wholesale, then 80 20, 70 30. And it just kind of happened organically over the course of those 18 months. Talk about uh, getting a wholesale account was. It's a lot difficult, I would say now, than it was probably four or five years ago. Yeah. You mentioned the word Amazon. People were like, eh, you're not, yeah. you're not doing it. Yeah. So what are wholesalers looking for? Like, what do they want when somebody comes to them to say, hey, I want to open up a wholesale account? They want your money. At the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they want, they want your money. And I think there's a huge disconnect there because people are looking for those 20, 25 percent margins immediately. And they don't really understand that. Listen, you might need to take a five or eight percent margin to get your foot in the door, place a couple orders, build a rapport with these companies, and then you could go in requesting to get the 20, 25 percent margins. But most companies, if you're looking for 20, 25 percent margins off the bat, you'll never open up any wholesale accounts. Yeah. And how do you get how are you getting these? Like when you reach out to wholesalers, what how are you finding these distributors or wholesalers? Yeah, so we use a few different methods. The first would be your basic keyword Google search, you know, which majority of people are doing. So, uh, you know, I would start like grocery distributors in New Jersey because that's where I am or, or personal care distributors, in New Jersey. And then I expand that reach because it's just easier for cost of shipping and the relationship, the closer they are to you. Because um, over over uh, across the country shipping, if I'm in you know New Jersey and I'm getting a shipment from Washington State, the shipping's going to be very high, and that's going to cut into my margins. Uh, something else we do is we keep our eyes out on the road. You know, I got 50 employees. Even if it's just you, you can tell your family, hey, if you see a truck with a name on it, snap a picture and send it to me. <laughs> I love it. That's fucking awesome. That is so cool. That's so cool. That's like you know, that's old school style. You know, like just yeah. keep your eyes open, right? You might find an opportunity. Yeah. How do you deal with the rejection from a wholesaler? Like, let's say you got a wholesaler, like. Hey, we want to open up with you. We want to sell on Amazon and they immediately shut you down. What's your comeback? 
Yeah, I always ask why. I want to know why, and I document all the information. We have a, a Google Doc that we share with our team, and it has every supplier we've ever reached out to. And I want to know why. Is it because you're already working with multiple third-party sellers? Do you have map pricing that those sellers are violating? Are you working exclusively with Amazon? Are you working exclusively with only one third-party seller? Have you just had a very poor experience? Do you not care about the management on Amazon? So based on that, I'll call them back in 30 days and touch base and be like, hey, last last time we spoke, you're working with three sellers. I noticed there's two. A spot open up for me. What's up? You know, let's talk about it. <laughs> persistence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Persistence is the key, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I want to talk real quick before we dive into like a lot of the processes and stuff, but wholesale operates typically on a much thinner margin than yeah. like a private label brand. Uh, or something like that. I mean, so it's a volume play. Uh, you're trying to get as much sales as, as possible. But what kind of margins are, are we talking about? Are you talking like a five to 8% margin on average? Or how, what are you like? What no. is the average? Yeah, so our business operates at a very healthy 19% margin. Oh, yeah. uh, we, we ended 2021 at a 20.5% margin. So it's it's going down a little bit, and that's just because the changes in the FBA fees and the new 5% referral increase that's happening. So it, it if ebbs and flows, I think a healthy wholesale business, anything greater than 15%, you're doing well. And, and that would be the same for retail arbitrage or... Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty much the same requirements. Uh, I know a lot of sellers, they like to shoot for super high margins. I'm a high volume guy. And okay. So when you're starting, what's the process that you go through? Are you first just trying to find distributors anywhere and then see what they sell and then see if it's going to work for you? Or are you starting on Amazon, finding opportunities there and then trying to find the distributor to work with which are or both uh so we're focusing on the first method the first method it's already sourcing products that you have access to opposed to finding sources to get the products that you don't have access to so i'm a firm believer i always like to just work off the catalogs that i have already um, especially if you're newer because when you're newer you'll have 50 tabs saved looking for all these products but the chances of finding them at a good price from a wholesaler is very slim so finding That's, the wholesaler is the key. Yeah, yeah, finding the wholesaler. And I suggest anybody just getting started, you should be reaching out to 50 wholesalers a week initially because you'll get about a 5% open rate. So it's very low. What's that process look like? Is it, you know, 50 wholesalers sounds taunting, but what are you doing? Is it email? Is it phone call? Is it visiting? What What's it, What's the strategy? Yeah. So let's say I wanted to find 50 suppliers today. I'd spend, or this week, I'd spend Monday just finding the 50 suppliers and documenting their information. I wouldn't call any of them, you know, because when you find one, call them, find one, call them, and it interrupts the workflow and the process of, of really being efficient. So I'd find all 50. Next day, Tuesday, I'd probably email and call all 50 of them. And then based on who didn't respond, I'd use Wednesday and Thursday to go back through and follow up. And by Friday, most of them would have either got back to me or completely ignored me. And then I would treat the following week to either go through the catalogs I received or answer any questions they had in those emails. What are some of the easy things they need, like a resale certificate? You have to have an LLC. Like, what are some things that if a if a guy's trying or a girl's trying to be a seller and they want if someone wants to be a seller on Amazon, you got to get these things done first because when you try to open an account, they're going to want this stuff. 
Yeah. So the, the wholesalers are going to want an EIN number, which you'll get when you register an LLC in, in most states automatically. Some have the additional step where you need to register the LLC and then get the EIN separately. But that's really all you need to get started. You don't need a warehouse. You can do it right out of your home to start. So you just need that EIN. How do you guys deal with growth? Uh, you know, with with uh, growing comes a lot of capital yes. and a lot of money to spend. What's your method there to like continue to scale up a business like this? Yeah. So I'll just give you the method we use directly. I think that would be a most help. So we started with an initial $4,000 investment for inventory, and we just reinvested that for a couple weeks, a couple months. And then we opened up some lines of credit. I think really optimizing your credit and purchasing uh, with, for example, the Plum Card, MasterCard Plum Card, um, it has a 60-day grace period. So you could buy inventory today and not have to pay for it for 60 days. So you're already making money off of it before you're even paying for it. That's revolutionary. <laughs> uh, and, and then we went the Amazon lending route. Amazon initially offered us maybe $20,000. Then it went to 50, 100. And by the end of our Amazon lending term, when we stopped using them, they were giving us a million dollars three times a year at about a seven or 8% interest rate, which was cool with us because we didn't have the money. So at, if we're bringing in 16, we're paying eight, we're still getting 8% off of that. And I would, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, I think I I love this aspect of it too. Is the the benefits? I mean, the the amount of credit cards, zero percent interest. Uh, you know, the cards that you're talking about, the, the travel points, hotel points, yeah. all yeah. the stuff that's that's building up is a side benefit. I think the people that do this uh, really well, they really they, they focus on that side a lot too. Like, what how, what's the best way for us to get capital, and what's the and what other benefits can we get from that capital? Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then something that I wish I did early on was buy the warehouse that I'm operating in instead of renting it, you know, because then you're building equity and property, which is huge, you know, and you're using it anyway. And it's like, if, if you're in a position where that's possible, then that's the move to go because then you're not only building your business, but you're also building real estate as well. Can we Let's talk about that? that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so you went from, you went from, uh, storing stuff in Sebastian's house and probably extra rooms. And then you outsource to a warehouse? No, no. So about uh, nine months in, we realized when we walked in his basement, you were jumping over boxes. <laughs> you couldn't move anything. It was very inefficient. So we, we went on LoopNet and looked for a warehouse space local. At the time, Sebastian didn't even have a car. He was so broke. Um, so we found a warehouse about a half mile from his house and uh -huh. he worked there every day. It was about a thousand square feet. And we started getting all the products shipped to there and, and processing them there. I, I want to ask a question about that because um, a lot of times I've heard wholesalers, they want to ship to a warehouse or a business location, not necessarily a house. Did you find that as a, a bottleneck early on when you didn't have that or, did, or were they willing to ship it wherever? Um, so, no, absolutely, that's going to be a bottleneck. It's definitely going to limit your wholesaler opportunity if you're in a residential area, because a lot of these places, they only ship to commercial or industrial areas. So that could limit your growth. We didn't really have any issues with that, um, because when we were in that in the house, we weren't doing any uh, wholesale orders yet. It was just all retail arbitrage. 
Amazing. There's so much stuff I want to ask, not just about Amazon, but like just being a business owner, right? Like you, you no longer, it's not just like flipping stuff on Amazon. You got like employees you got to take care of now and making sure that their lives are good. You got a warehouse, you got to worry about, you know, things inside what's going on. So that transition of being like a, you know, two man team to get in a warehouse, what have you learned through that transition? Like with getting employees and whatnot? Oh man, I've learned so much about just patience and, you know, kindness, especially. And I think understanding that, you know, these are not just people or or these are not just employees. Like these are, these are human beings. These are people who have f- families and kids and grandmothers and girlfriends and husbands. Like, so being able to make sure that they not only have the full 40 hour work week available to them, you know, but we also offer them like health benefits and like uh, learning all these things along the way and building the morale, like, weekend parties, quarterly goals, incentivizing them. Like, I didn't know any of that. It just kind of organically happened. And we made a lot of mistakes initially, but now we we treat our fa- our team like family because really they are. I spend more time with my employees than I do with my own family, you know? It's amazing. So cool. I mean, like this is, this is like a, just a, a you know, overall good picture. Like you've started small, you've got a warehouse, you got a team now, you scale this up. I'm sure you got brands coming to you saying, Hey, let's let me be part of this uh, operation you got yeah. going on. Cause it's no longer uh, you know, small scale. You're, you're operating big. Give, give me that. Give me an idea. How, how many units do you sell a day on Amazon? Um, on a day, about 8,000. Good grief. Good grief. <laughs> it's amazing. Does that, do you ever just feel like sometimes what the hell am I doing? There and like <laughs> refreshing your app or whatever. And just be like, I cannot believe this. Yeah. Yeah, it usually happens for me right around 1 a.m. because we're at East Coast. The Amazon day ends at uh, 3 a.m. on the East Coast because it's uh, specific time. So usually 1 a.m. I'll swipe it. I'll be like, just wait, like $180,000 in a day. I'm like, I can't even believe this. Like, where? how did this even happen? And it's growing. It's just, it's mind blowing sometimes. Sometimes I have to pinch myself and recognize what's going on. Yeah. What, what's, uh, I mean... Some of your employees got to be like, man, I can do this, right? Like yeah. they think I could do like I would be that guy. Like, man, I could yeah. probably figure this out. How do you how do you battle that? I, I would encourage them to. Absolutely. If if one of my employees walked in right now to my office and said, Hey Eric, I'm gonna I'm giving you my two weeks, I'm gonna build my own Amazon business, I'd say, absolutely, please go for it. And if you need any help, let me know. You know, because I never want to stunt someone's growth because they work for me. If they want an opportunity that's better than what they have here, please go for it. I'll support you along that journey. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's like, uh, I don't know, Gary Vaynerchuk. He says that all the time. You know, it's like the empathy for your employees. And if the guy wants to come in and quit, that he's the happiest person for them. Yes. And I, I think that there's there's a lot to be said. I mean, clearly you've got a good culture going there. You've guys done you know, amazing in, in developing all of that out. I just can't, I, I feel like, I mean, I wish my sales were <laughs> 8,000 units a day or whatever, nuts. you know, whatever it is. But, you know, every time I still get that same feeling, like the feeling of making that first sale on Amazon and you're like, mm. this is a business. This yeah. could really, really work. Yeah. And then every day you kind of have that same, it's, it's like, it's, it's so enjoyable to see that. Like I, this is actually working. It's this is amazing. Um, so let's talk now. You're you guys are clearly in a different 
place than when you started. Uh, you've got the experience, you've got the infrastructure, the setup, everything is, is moving in the right direction. When you're looking at deals, because this is a, this would be something for me that I would, that would be, I would feel like it's challenging because you've got so many opportunities. There's, there's yeah. you know, millions of products, but you have X amount of cash and you want that cash to the, to multiply as fast as possible. Yes. Uh, so it's how you're allocating it. So what are you looking for in a deal? Okay. So you're, you've got this product in this catalog and you're like, okay, we're going to either go with this or not go with this, but, but what is like a ideal point for you? Like a certain BSR, a certain number of comp competing sellers. What is it that you're looking for? Yeah. So first thing I'm looking for is profit. Is the item profitable? Because if it's not profitable, I don't even want to look at it. If it's not making me money based on the Amazon landscape, it's not worth it to even click on it and dive deeper into it. So first thing's profit. Um, for us, we go as low as $2 minimum profit. I'll even go as low as $150 if it's moving a lot of volume. Like I just printed out these SKUs. This is one product. It's like... <laughs> It's eight. For eight, those of you listening, it's not one sheet of paper. It's, so it's like that. Was, was that did that come on one roll? How big was that roll? <laughs> now, so this is actually a product we have uh, transparency protected. It sells like six thousand units a month. It's crazy. So you know, it's it's like as long as the profit, but the profit's not huge, but the volume is there. You know, so first things profit. Second thing is BSR, which varies on categories. You know, something like baby or patio or outdoor sports. I'm really not going above 70, 80,000 BSR, but categories like grocery, health and personal, beauty, I'll go all the way up to 300,000 because what happens is a lot of times there's a product ranked 300,000 that I'm making $25 on. I don't want to make $25 on it. I want to make $7. So I'm going to drop the price $17 and bring that listing back to life. You know, so now I could start getting the BSR lower, generating more sales. And the last thing I'm checking or the last two things, keep a chart, make sure there's no crazy price drops or any IP complaints on that third keep a chart. And then the last thing is the competitive sellers. You know, who is buy box competitive and how much inventory do they have? Because if they have 5,000 units and the listing's only selling 500 a month, they technically have 10 months of inventory. I can't compete with that. They control the price on that listing. So let's with an operation this big, with an operation this big, you got to have some buyers, right? Like you got buyers, like people that buy yeah. product for you. Uh, how do you how do you scale that up? Like because what you do may be something different than maybe what Sebastian was probably doing. Like yeah. so, how do you get that nice and organized? Yeah, so we do have three buyers. They're very efficient. They purchase about one hundred and sixty thousand dollars worth of inventory a week. Each of them. Um, and I've trained every buyer that works here and we create a team and they all sit right next to each other and we have weekly meetings. So I love that I buy different than Sebastian and our buyer Amina buys different than our buyer Mac and Lily buys different than Sammy. I love it because you get all these different perspectives and someone who might pass on a product, they just turn around. Hey, Sammy, what would you get this? It's like, yeah, actually, let's get this because I see this, this and this. Ah, awesome. interesting. Yeah, yeah. that so, is important because I'm I'm looking at I'm one man show on this online arbitrage and I'm passing up stuff and selecting what I want. I'm always in the back of my mind. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if that would have been a hit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 
It's awesome. So, okay. So that huge roll of labels you got over there, uh, that product, something like that where you're selling 8,000 units a month or whatever it was, do you have like an exclusive arrangement for that kind of a yeah, product? Yeah, for, for this specific brand, we do. Uh, but we do have some SKUs, not SKUs that are selling 6,000 a month, but we do have some SKUs that move, you know, 12, 1,500 units a month that we don't have exclusivity with. But to hit those numbers, you got to do exclusive relationship and build the relationship with the brand. And, and is that a goal of for you guys to get as many of those as possible? Or do, is that an easier deal than, you know, a volume game with tons of SKUs that you don't have exclusive? exclusivity for uh i don't i don't know if it's definitely more lucrative but i don't think it's easier uh so it's very similar to like private label where people start attacking your listings you know because they're like oh i used to sell on this and then you get a couple negative reviews and amazon removes it and then you got to challenge it so like for example this product was just removed for seven days mm. you know that's almost that's almost 10 grand of inventory that that we didn't sell in those seven days. So like if that listing was to go out of or get removed forever, that could be a potential huge hit for us. You know, you're talking we have thirty, forty thousand dollars of inventory in Amazon. So the brand exclusives are more lucrative, more profitable. But you definitely need someone to manage them and keep their eye on the listings for any mishaps that may happen. Well, that turns it into uh, it is exactly right. I mean, it basically is a private label product in that. Point. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming on those uh, you're trying to optimize the listing. Yeah. You're probably running advertising to try to improve the rank. Yeah. Uh, so, you I mean, you you become sort of the brand owner on Amazon for that product. Yeah. Um, so. Do you have, did you have to create that part of your team that does listings and advertising and all that stuff as well? Uh, so I actually, this is going to blow your guys' mind. I, we, right now we have like three or four brand direct deals and, and I manage all of them. So, uh, you know, I'm putting together the orders. I'm create. I'm, I'm, I'm not creating the listings from scratch. I'm, I'm like getting the images made and I'm adding the information to the listings uh, but that's something that now I'm like, all right, it's time to get this insourced or outsourced because my time, I could be doing something more valuable with it. The, uh, I know you got questions, Chris. Sorry. It's <laughs> a uh, race, right? <laughs> yeah. So I want to keep talking about these, ex this exclusive uh, setup that you got. I, I want to know, like, what was your approach to the, to the business to set that up? And I'm assuming you're coming at them with a a win-win scenario where you're saying, you know, hey, you're either not selling this on Amazon and you got all these people misrepresenting your product and all kinds of stuff. And I I can take this over and make, you know, make you shine on Amazon and and generate more sales for you. I mean, how do you how do you set up an arrangement like that? Yeah. So it's it's all about the value we're providing as third party sellers. So I'd like to point out that not one exclusive relationship that we've we've obtained has happened in less than a year. So what usually happens like with this company, I met them four years ago and the guy kept telling me no, no, no. For two whole years, he told me no. I saw him at every trade show I went to. So I'm eight times a year and I go to his booth and he told me no every time. And then he finally called me. He said, Eric, I'm ready to move forward. So being persistent. And then also for the first three months, we managed that product. I spent $3,000 a month on ads. I didn't want any money from them. I wanted them to be like, listen, these guys are committed to growing our brand. 
And now they give us four, four and a half thousand dollars a month for ads. And I haven't paid for any of their ads in, in a very long time. Oh my goodness. That's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then obviously because of you did that, you were ordering much, much larger quantities of their product. Yeah. And they had their, that sales channel for them really ramped up. Yeah. Um, is, is there a, a sweet spot on, on the product or, or how they're in the in the marketplace already that you're looking for to present that deal. I mean, I'm thinking of like if there was a I don't know a local person who had who was doing like soap or something yeah. like that, you know, and they're like a boutique seller and they have no idea about you know. And I'm like, I could take your product to the world. Does that sound good? You know, how yeah. that, what's the sweet spot for you on the on pursuing deals like that? Yeah, so the sweet spot for us is definitely an Amazon presence that exists already. Okay. Um, with a lot of confusion. So multiple sellers, varied price points, terrible images, poor bullet points, all of that is the sweet spot. We, From my experience, I barely take on any new brands to the market because building them out is very challenging. And I'm personally yet, other than our private label brands, I'm yet to take a brand that's reached out to me that has no presence in any big box or retail stores, no presence on Amazon, and I'm yet to be able to build their business to the level that's worth it for us. Makes sense. With as many products as you see, there's got to be opportunities, and we touched on this a little bit. Now, if you're selling XYZ SKU in the blue color, uh, you, go, you go to that supplier and be like, hey, we want to do the same SKU, but give me the yellow color mm. because we see that people are wanting to buy the yellow color. Is, is those are those opportunities there where you can be like, I want to be the exclusive private label of this brand or even better, let me let me sell the blue one, but let me just put my own brand name on it. And now we got two different listings happening. Are those type of opportunities there? And, and how do you take advantage of those? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a huge value add to the brand. It's like, listen, your two, your your blue, your blue uh, variation is doing amazing. You don't even got the yellow. Let's add the yellow. I'll take care of everything, and then you're going to be capitalizing on the sales. And you can even take it one step further and do what we call wholesale bundles, where you register a trademark. So let's say Chris and Dustin products. And you actually add like an additional add-on, whether it's a, a loofah, if it's a shampoo or a toothbrush holder, if it's a toothbrush, and it's branded with your logo on it. And that kind of eliminates the opportunity for other sellers to jump on it. So pitching all these things to the brand, depending on where they are in their business, one of them might just jump in their ear and be like, wow, that's genius. Let's try yeah. it. Uh, another thing. Okay, so this is what I'm finding a lot. Um with a lot of some of my more successful products via online arbitrage is um, bundling them and making them multi-packs. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering what the strategy is on wholesale. So let's say it's um, it's something from the groceries, you know, whatever. It's a, a pack of rice, let's say, whatever. Okay. And so there's a listing on Amazon, but you can create a child variation where it's a two-pack, a four-pack, and a six-pack. Is that something that you guys do frequently in order to gain more market share and also you could get more profit out of each sale yeah absolutely we're, we're running the numbers if the two pack exists already or the one pack we're running the numbers in multiples and seeing hey maybe the three pack or the four pack would be profitable and absolutely we're creating those listings and throwing a little ad spend at them very little ad spend i'm talking ten dollars a day could get a brand name product you know very low bsr in a in a week if not less because 
they're already searching for the company on it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you created a, you know, if it's Uncle Ben's rice yeah. and it's a 12 pack, yeah. you're that adds that it's not going to be very expensive to get that to move up the rankings. No, no, but but sometimes you will will run into an issue where you get um either a copyright claim or an intellectual property complaint. So about 40% of those listings we create within a few months, they are removed from Amazon. But the 60% that stay and last for a lifetime are well worth the 40% that don't. How do you deal with a bad buy? Something like a bad buy and, and it just doesn't take off like you did and you got thousands of units you know, going on. What's the play to get rid of a product and get, you know, get some capital back? Yeah. So first move is I'm checking the landscape of Keepa and seeing like maybe there's a seller on there that's dominating. And as soon as they sell out, I'll be back in the buy box. So before I make a decision to liquidate um, or remove from Amazon, I'm making sure that this is the last ditch effort. There's no possibility of dropping uh, a price or, or manipulating it or waiting to get those sales. Second thing I'm doing is I have no problem taking a loss on a product. Absolutely no problem. I know when to cut my losses. And let's say I spent $10 on the product. I'll even lose three or four through Amazon just so I don't have to get it shipped back to us and deal with it at our own warehouse or donate it, which we do a lot of donations um, for food items. But like that's like the last ditch effort. Donations, flea markets, uh, liquidations. First is I'd rather just drop the price, get the money back. Yeah, I saw on uh, maybe about a year and a half ago, you guys were hitting up flea markets on the weekends, yeah. had a booth there selling stuff. What's that to do? Just to get rid of the, the bad stuff and, and just move on? Yeah, it's all the returns. It's all the returns. Anything from, you know, 15 to 90 days of expiration date. And then it's also anything that has a slightly damaged box. So we'll get maybe 75% of the cost of goods back. But it's fun. We meet a bunch of companies who end up buying wholesale from us, too. So we build relationships. I just love interacting with the customer. You learn a lot about the, the market and what the, the culture is looking for, which is huge. I got to ask you, you brought up expiration date. This is a, this is a personal question. I don't know. You, there's I mean, when you're sending it in, you got to put that expiration date in there. Yeah. Like. I'll, at least half of the products that I'm trying to send in sometimes that Amazon's requiring an expiration date, don't they don't have, have an expiration yeah. date on the bottle. It's yeah. like shampoo or something. And yeah. what do you do there? Uh, we do three years from today. Okay. Three years from today. It's just very straightforward. Amazon has, I think it's in their terms of service, it's like 22 months or, or whatever it is. But instead of doing some crazy calculation, I just tell my team literally three years from today, at it, we've never had any issues. What are some issues you've had with your account? I mean, gosh, I get freaked out when I get an email from Amazon, but I'm I'm assuming, you know, how much volume you're doing, uh, an email from Amazon is probably nothing. You're probably used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've, we've been suspended before twice, uh, which was very, very uh, eye-opening for us um, and scary as well our account health because it's ratios if you just looked at our account health and didn't know the numbers we did you'd be like how are these guys not suspended <laughs> <laughs> i freak out when i have one number i'm sure it's <laughs> yeah that's right you know i got like it's it's ridiculous the numbers are double digits for a lot of those those categories um but it's a ratio so it's based on volume so it's no different than someone having one ip complaint only said sold a uh, hundred orders versus us having 
you know, maybe two IP complaints, but we're selling hundreds of orders. You guys do any Merchant Fulfilled? Uh, no, we stopped doing Merchant Fulfilled right in the middle of COVID. Very lucrative, made a lot of money during COVID. Um, but it's just we find that FBA is so profitable right now that we took our four employee staff off of FBM and created a whole new production station to, to leverage more into FBA. Give me the process of when you buy. So give me the start to finish. You, bu you buy it from a wholesaler. Product shows up at your door. What happens next? Yeah. So product shows up at the door. Uh, one of our warehouse team members will put it in what we call our receiving area. So we know everything that in that's in that area has just been received. And then from receiving, they break it down to invoice it to make sure there's no discrepancies, damages, products that expired. Um, that report is sent to the buyer that put the order together and they're communicating the discrepancies with the company. So we're getting refunds or credits and we're not missing out money there. Um, those items are then added to an Amazon shipment. And then our pickers go and they stage those items next to the production station. So they know this, this, and this is on this pallet. We're going to bring this pallet, put it in front of the production station. And then we have five employees at a production station. They produce it just like the same way McDonald's produce a Big Mac. They pass it along through the through the different stages and then it gets put on a pallet wrapped the warehouse staff the pickers will then put it in our shipping area and from shipping it gets loaded onto a truck and that process in our warehouse happens six days a week um for about 12 hours a day on that amazon shipment is that amazon shipment created before the items show up after the buyer makes the purchase or is it created after they receive everything in yeah, it's, it's created after they receive everything in to account for any damages or shortages or expired goods. So these are case-packed items, I'm assuming. Yes. Got it. Case-packed. But, but, but we send them all individual. When you're selecting case-packed versus individual, we're sending them individual. We receive them as impact, a case-packed. I gotcha. Because okay. that way you're trying to maximize the space in the boxes. Yes. Yeah. Got so is there a little bit of a bottleneck there on the shipment creation? Uh, no, no. So we've actually, there is a bottleneck, but we've we've built some softwares internally to eliminate that, incorporated 2D barcodes, which there's a ton of softwares now that, that offer them. Um, Wizard Industries, uh, 2D barcode or 2D workflow, I think is another one. So those eliminate the process of like box content information and just yeah. the kind of what you're talking about, Chris. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like, so if somebody's scanning it, uh, that also is probably creating a shipment because they're scanning the, B the, the barcode. So you're receiving it and you're creating a shipment in Amazon. So it's kind of doing two things at once. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, exactly. man. <laughs> it's so fun I mean, it's, this is like everything that i'm doing at a monster scale it's just yeah. so fun to to hear keep the hustle up right keep, yeah yeah don't stop. keep the hustle going it's it, okay i got another question for it because this comes up this happened to me um i'll find a product i source it i ship it in it gets there and then i'm going in just looking through my list you know looking through my um seller central and it'll be like the it's search suppressed Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh no. So I go to click search spread. Why is it search press? And they're like, it's missing some data, but it won't let me put it in. Yeah. Um, because I'm I'm not the brand owner. Brand, yes. So I'm like, well, okay, well, do I yeah. get these removed or how do I get the permission to update that? 
So you, what we would do is create a quick case with Amazon, whether it's an email case or a phone a phone call, and we would tr try to troubleshoot the problems with them. But you're absolutely right. There will be some instances where they cannot update the image or the listing. You cannot update it. So it will just remain suppressed. And at that point, it's just like you got to drop the price because if it's suppressed, people aren't finding it, you know, but people will, it will pop up because if you searched it in Google, it will populate. So if you search like Uncle Ben's, it's suppressed on Amazon. That listing would pop up at Google, but not on Amazon. Oh, that's interesting. Go. Yeah. Are you only in the U.S. marketplace or what other marketplaces do you guys sell in? Um, so we do sell in the U.K. Uh, we recently shut off Canada and Mexico, but so just U.S. and U.K. Was there a reason for shutting those off? Yeah, because what we were doing was we had cross listing. So it was like every item we created in the U.S. was getting listed through NARF in, in Canada and Mexico. But come to find out, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico all have different restrictions at the products you could sell. So we were getting IP complaints in one country, not in the other. You know, copyright claims in one country, not in the other. And it was a nightmare. Yeah, so we just decided to turn those two off. What's UK look like percentage wise? Like how, how is that scaling up? Do you have a whole different warehouse over there or, or what's that look like? No. So we just sent our first, you know, container over maybe four or five months ago. Uh, the cost of shipping now was ridiculous. So I probably won't send another container until I can. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that again, to me, seems like a whole nother opportunity. Hopefully logistics gets better uh, and we can start shipping stuff around a lot cheaper. But I mean, how many, you know, American made products or whatever, you know, could be sold over there that just Tons. That aren't Tons. That aren't at all. Well, think about it. Think about like the, the UK, European brands that maybe want to come over and, and here in the here. States and sell. They, they've now got a connection there. Yeah, you know, that, that'd be nice. How'd you come up with the name Amazon Lit? Uh, so Sebastian and I. We were in this office right next to me. It was like a Friday night at, at maybe two in the morning. I'm a late guy. Sebastian's a late guy. And uh, we, we saw, I saw my first YouTube ad for, for an Amazon training. This was maybe 2018. Never saw one before. Clicked on it. It was $3,000. Bought it immediately. Within five minutes, I was like, this is the, I can't even believe this guy's charging money for this. It's so inaccurate. I was very disappointed. And in that second, we said, we need to create a business that we can teach people how to do what we do correctly. And we're like, what are we going to call it? And I would, we, you know, we threw some names at the wall and he's like, listen, people say lit all the time. It's like a trend. Let's just call it Amazon lit. And we're like, sure. We registered the business that night and, and here we are, you know? Uh, so do you guys do like training and help like, you know, like coursing courses, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in 2018, we started doing one-on-one -on -one mentoring I've taken probably over 1,500 one-on-one -on -one calls with sellers. So I learned a lot about their pain points. And from that, we designed our training course, eSellers RI. And then we have another step up, which is called our inner circle, where we focus really working with seven and eight figure uh, Amazon earners. And it's a more inclusive annual mentorship with visits to their warehouse and live events. It's, it's, it's for the people who are like, I don't need to just learn how to do better in my Amazon business. I need to change my mindset. I need to be a better person, a better family man, a better business owner. So it's like, it's for that next level of success. I, I got a question on that. Um, because you know, when Chris and I started this podcast, you know, we, 
both we admit we we didn't network enough. We didn't do a lot of the things to help really uh, build a community around us. And since we've started this, and since we're talking to experts in the space, I mean, I feel like I have resources and knowledge and everything that I never would have had access to. And it's opened up so many different opportunities. Do you did, like when you're doing those one on one calls and now in your your mastermind group? I mean, do you learn a lot yourself all the time? I've learned so much. I've learned so much. I honestly think the thing that I've learned the most from is our private Facebook community, you know, because I got, I got almost 700 wholesale businesses in there asking questions, helping each other. Sometimes someone brings something up. I'm like, how have I never thought of that? That is, so, <laughs> that is genius. You know? It's so fun. I mean, we think that every day we're like, it's amazing. Like yeah. that, just having access to the, the knowledge and the sharing and, yes. and all that. so you started the this business where you're helping sellers. I mean, do you get a lot of fulfillment out of that personally yeah. that you're able to see other people succeed? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I came from a very troubled past, littered with drug addiction and alcoholism, and uh, for years, almost a full decade, I was a completely different person. And and what I did was I met this guy Rob. And he completely changed my life. He took me under his wing when I had not a penny to my name. I was living out of my car and he taught me how to live life. And then Sebastian took me under his wing and taught me how to build a business. So like out of gratitude for those two people, I will forever give back to the community as much as possible. I love Man, it. That gives me chills. That was good I stuff. Know. It's amazing. What, how's, uh, you know, the shiny, the, the new girlfriend here is Walmart. How's Walmart looking? Yeah. So, you know, we don't do any selling on Walmart. There's definitely a lot of opportunity. The The margins are pretty much the same as Amazon, but you'll see that the SKUs that are selling very well are completely different. It's mind blowing. It's like, you know, a product on Amazon that's moving 30 a month on Walmart is selling four or 500. So it creates opportunity that just didn't really exist. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I yeah. guess it's just a totally different shopper. Yeah, it is a different shopper. Yeah, it's it a different shopper. Yeah, did you guys see the Walmart, first Walmart uh, with a drone delivery started? It was like 10 days ago. The lady got it dropped off in her backyard. That's a they're game changer. They're, they're coming after it. Yeah, they're coming after it. That's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> so will that be a play? Up. Will Walmart be a play for you guys at some point in the future? I honestly, I don't see it in the near future only because at the end of the day, Walmart's 15 years behind Amazon. You know, the only way I would make it a play is if they took whatever their 35, 4,000 stores, how 3,500, whatever amount of stores they got. And they sectioned off a piece of them for fulfillment centers that I could ship to a little more locally. Then I would consider it because it makes logistics make a little more sense. But right now, I, I'm, I'm personally not not looking into it or investigating it or going in any further. That's got to be down the road for them. They have yeah. to be thinking that. I mean, I've actually seen uh, my local Walmart. It's it's shrinking a yeah. little bit. They're pulling that back wall yeah. uh, forward. So I don't know what they're, you know, there's a lot more going on back there. But, oh, my gosh, I feel like we could talk to you for hours and hours. Yeah. But I know, I know uh, people are, are listening right now and – they would love to work with you, start watching your courses, get into some of the training. Um, where do they need to go? What do they need to do to help 
start their business? Yeah. So best place would just go to go to Instagram or YouTube. You know, all of our links and everything are there. I think Instagram is the best place because then you get to build a rapport with people. You know, I don't want people to just be like, oh, this guy's doing really well. Like, Make sure you understand the people you're investing in. And this goes for any business and anybody listening. Like, do your research on someone before you go giving them any money. And I encourage you to do your research on me because I'm the real deal. And I'd love to help you grow your business. Your content's great, too. So anyone who follows you guys on Instagram, they're going to they're gonna be entertained. They're going to learn a lot. You give a lot of value um, just through that. And you can tell you're authentic. Uh, you know, it's like and motivating, motive, yeah, motivating, authentic. You're not blowing smoke. You're not promising the moon. You know, it is work. You go to work every single day. You've got employees. You've got a warehouse. There's, it's work. It you probably work harder than anybody who's working a nine to five, yeah. getting a salary. Yeah, but it's definitely work. It's, it's rewarding. It's not overnight success. It's not passive income. Uh, but I promise anybody who takes the action and commits themselves to doing it, the way I like to see it is commit for one year. You know, if you don't like it in a year, always go back to being a bartender, you know, being a taxi driver, a teacher, whatever you were, that will be there. But if you don't try something new, you'll never know what opportunity you could have missed out on. I love it. Man, Eric, thanks so much for coming and talking to us. We've had a blast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. guys it's it's been a pleasure I'm, I'm i'm let me know when you want to do round two. Oh yeah in <laughs> three and four whatever i need to whenever yeah. i need a kick in the tail yeah <laughs> we'll yeah. be we'll be hitting you up a hundred percent but uh yeah thanks Absolutely. thanks again we really enjoyed it everyone go to amazonlit.com find eric on instagram find amazon lit on instagram you'll see all the content reach out to them if you want to work with them uh and start your start your own business Give, yeah, you got to yeah. give it, give it a go. So, all right. Well, thanks so much. And thanks everybody for tuning in. If you like content like this, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Make sure that you go to uh, Solozo's social media channels, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, all the live streams are there. T subscribe to those, turn on notifications. So you get notified when we go live, we do it all the time. We're putting out these multiple times a day in many cases. So make sure you're getting to see all that. That way you can hear amazing people like Eric tell their story and give tactics. Additionally, if you're currently selling on Amazon, uh, whichever way you sell, private label, wholesale, you got some exclusive deals and you need to advertise, that's where Solozo can help you out. Uh, Chris and I can show you how Solozo's platform can fully automate and optimize your advertising to take that workload off. So go to solozo.com, schedule a demo. You'll be talking to one of us really soon. All right, everybody, that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Eric, for joining us. We'll see you guys next